Welcome to Creekside Church. You guys can go ahead and have a seat for just a minute. You guys can see uh, some of the food pantry donations up here. Uh, that's exciting uh, to be able to gather that to share with the Urbandale Food Pantry. If you did not get a chance to uh, bring in something today, I believe you still have tomorrow morning. Is that right, Steve? Tomorrow morning where you can bring stuff in and then uh, I think tomorrow afternoon Bob Vaughn is going to be delivering uh, these donations to the Urbandale Food Bank. So it's a great opportunity to share with those uh, in need during this season. Uh, where's Larry Westfall? Larry, come on up. Um, I don't know how many of you were here like two or three years ago and we had a, uh, a school bus destined for Emmanuel Mission, which is a uh, 12th grade school on the Navajo Indian Reservation in Northeast Arizona. Uh, but we did a fine job of collecting items to put on that bus and John emailed me this week and saying that he's bought another bus in Arkansas and uh, during Christmas break is coming up this way because their uh, son lives here in Ankeny is married to uh, Rod Clarkson's daughter. They're going to be here the 26th through the 30th of this month. So uh, we're going to try this fill a bus campaign again. We don't have to do it ourselves because he's going to be at Wichita, Kansas, Hutchison, Kansas, Des Moines, Kansas City, Topeka, Salina, and Colorado Springs. So they're going to be hitting a, a number of, of areas. But uh, what they would like is uh, good, clean, used clothing, new clothing if you would like, that's fine too, small appliances, school supplies, copy paper, and canned food. And for the canned food, he says, that's number 10 cans, the big gallon cans. This is for the school lunch program. Uh, vegetables, fruit, chili, pinto beans, baked beans, pizza sauce, ketchup, tomato sauce. Those types of things that they would use for school lunches. Uh, a mention was that if you don't want to bother going and buying these number 10 cans, I will be responsible for doing that if you want to donate the money. And we're suggesting that you make your checks out or give the cash to Dorothy Pearson, who has the, uh, is the treasurer for Women's Missionary Outreach. And this will kind of just keep it separate from the, the Creekside General Fund, so because Dorothy can know that when this money comes in, it's for Emmanuel Mission. I can pick up the food and be reimbursed, that type of thing. So I've got a, uh, a uh, display out here kind of explaining Emmanuel Mission and, and there's pictures of where it is uh, kind of get an idea it's high 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 desert plains of Arizona uh, I will be back there after the meeting and if you have questions anything like that just come see me or contact me anytime but uh, let's fill that bus invite you to join me as we pray in preparation for worshiping the Lord through the study of his word. Father, we come as needy people in this second Sunday of what the church calendar calls, us, calls Advent, which means coming. Another time of the year in which we remember the first advent of Christ. I pray that you would open our eyes as the psalmist prays. 
that we might behold wonderful truths from your law. And I pray that you would not only inform our minds, but that you would transform our lives through the truths that you expose to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. Uh, There were three young boys back in 2010 that survived 50 days at sea. These three boys, as a picture of these three boys from 2010, understand they could probably teach Bear Grylls a few things about man versus wild. In their survival, they caught fish, they trapped rainwater that came down because they couldn't drink the ocean water without dehydrating themselves, and they even ate a seagull that landed on their boat. They understood what it is, what it was to be vigilant, and they understood what it was to stay faithful in order to survive, even against serious odds. Well, as we continue in our series of possess what we profess, our study of 1 John, we come to this passage this morning in 1 John 2, verses 18 through 27, where John makes it very clear he's concerned about the spiritual survival of the children of God, the believers in the church. And he wants to make sure and give them important advice, and he gives them advice, he gives us advice to stay faithful, to survive against the spiritual forces that are against us in the world and against them in the world as we are pressed by these deceivers and deception in what he calls the last hour. Back when he wrote, he called it the last hour. He wants the children of God to be equipped to stand firm against heretics. He wants us to be confident that we are indeed in fellowship with the Father and the Son and with other believers. And so to do that, he first of all exposes the key deception of that age and of our age, and then he discloses what is necessary for us to be assured that we truly are in this fellowship with the Son, with the Father, and with other believers. And he reveals to us these resources that we can draw upon to reject error and then remain and rest assured that that we're truly in, in the family. And the key to it all, I think, from the text, is that abiding in the truth. So I'm going to be reading the text. I'd invite you to turn to 1 John, if you would. I'm going to read verses 18 or 17 through 27 in First uh, John chapter 2, okay, First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, John says this, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen, from this we know, that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? 
But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you have received from, you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and it is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Well, in the text, I think it breaks down, at least I've broken it down into the three perspectives that John gives us to help us gain assurance of fellowship by abiding and by resisting. Assurance that we are in the family of God by abiding and by resisting. First of all, we see in the text that our resistance, that which resists us, that which stands in opposition to us, is exposed. And the three important facts that John lays out for us about Antichrist or the Antichrists in the text. First of all, the presence of Antichrist. Antichrists is his term. Notice it says in verse 18, children. I made a little deal uh, last Sunday, I believe it was, about the word, use of the word children. And here the word means that which those who are immature, those who need to grow up, those who are believers, but they're infant believers. They're not quite mature. And so they need more information. They need to grow. They're young in their faith. He says it is the last hour. What does he mean by last hour? The stage is set for the return of Christ. That's what he means. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Uh, in Romans 13, verse 11, I think we have, do we have a slide of that one? Uh, yeah. And this do, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Now, uh, this was written about 2,000 years ago. The last hour was near then. Now, it doesn't tell us when it's going to happen, but the darkness is passing away. We made a case of that last week. But the rise of opposition to Christianity, increased apostasy, and the prevalence of false teachers led John to conclude that the last hour was present then, and we must be closer to it now than it was then, 2,000 years ago. Vigilance is needed even more today to stand in opposition because the opposition stands against us. Verse 18, Antichrist is coming. That Antichrist is coming. And here is just a, a reference, I think, to the, the, the man of lawlessness that Paul was talking about, talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. This is the Antichrist spoken about in Daniel chapter 8 or 7, in Daniel chapter 11, 
In Daniel 7 and Daniel 11, he talks about, uh, the writer talks about the one who comes to set up the abomination of desolations. This is the Antichrist who's coming in the last tribulation, the great tribulation, or, or the return of Christ. And this Antichrist will lead people astray and they'll apostatize worse than they have ever, we have ever known. Okay? But John doesn't say just that Antichrist is coming. He says that indeed, even now, many Antichrists have arisen. What does that mean? What I think he means is that there are many people present who are in opposition to Christ in such a way that they are manifesting the nature of the Antichrist who is coming. So their opposition to Christ is in the influence people in opposition to Christ. These are people who are hostile to the gospel. These are people who deny that Jesus has come in the flesh, that He is the Son of God. These are people who teach contrary to the teachings of the Word of God, and then they lead other people astray in this as well. They want to be exalted above Christ as the Antichrist sought to be and, and was. He, he will be one who he, he tries to make himself out to be greater than any other God, and these are the people. Now, in the world, we can see people who are in opposition to Christ. I mean, I, throw out a, I mean John Mayer is a comedian. I mean, he's, he makes no, no bones about the fact that he thinks Christians are stupid, you know. Um, we could talk about Stephen Hawking's, one of the greatest intellects in the world, mathematician, which I find it interesting. He's, he's a mathematician, and yet everybody treats him like some great philosopher, you know. And he makes all these claims, and he's written some books, and everybody reads the books. Yeah, I've traveled in Europe, and in Europe you ask one of the greatest uh, phys uh, physicists of all times, and they're going to tell you, Stephen Hawking, he's the guy. In his book, which is in, uh, entitled Grand Design, he makes it clear that there's no, really no need for a, a God to create things. There's no need for a God to create things. He's written some other books. Now these are evidences of the spirit of Antichrist in the world. But John is drilling down even a little bit further. But before we get to the identity, I want you to look at the significance of the Antichrist. He says the presence of those who oppose Christ is evidence of his return. For this we know, he says at the end of verse 18. And from this we know that it is the last hour. From what? from the presence of the Antichrist, from the fact that there are people in the world who are in opposition to Christ, denying that He has come in the flesh, denying His truth, and denying His word. We know that the hour has come. So that's the, it's, it's significant. I know that every fall, I really love the change of the color of the leaves. But I also don't love what the change of the color of the leaves means. Because then I know it's going to get cold. I just, you know, it's not going to have, we're not going to have winter in heaven. I know that. Uh, just, uh, I, no, I don't know. But it's like, we know the signs of the times. We know that the leaves are changing and that it's winter is coming. We know that the last hour is among us, is, is present, because antichrists are present. 
Now, Jesus said it. I mean, Jesus made these claims. He, he, he told us that Matthew chapter 24, he says before uh, that he, he would return that many antichrists will come. And you need to be prepared for these antichrists to come. The proximity of Christ's return gives urgency to John's words and urgency to the necessity of us standing firm against the deceivers. Now, he gets to the identity of the Antichrist that he's talking about. There are Antichrists in the world who are out there in the world, people that I've mentioned that are in opposition to God, but the ones that John is particularly interested in, that are particularly venomous and virulent, are the ones in the church. Notice he says at verse 19, they went out from us. That should give us pause. They went out from us, which means that they were once among us. These are folks who are raised in the church, many of whom would profess faith in Christ. They're cared for and loved by the people of the church. And then they they go out and they choose to leave. And then they deny that Jesus has come in the flesh. And they disregard the truths of the gospel. And then they teach other people that all that they learned growing up was a lie. This is the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist, John says, among them. I had a colleague in ministry once and he had grown up in the denomination that I served before coming to Creekside. He had gone to their version of confirmation class. It's not really a confirmation class, but it's a a theological class. He had probably, through that class, come to a place where he would have professed faith in Jesus Christ. He grew up, he went to seminary, and then he began to teach people in direct opposition to the gospel. As a pastor. A pastor in a pulpit. Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist. You probably know some too. I remember listening to John MacArthur one time. And uh, his story is rather unique. Because John has this experience. I, I, don't, I don't say John because I know him personally. Okay, I just heard him. So I'm not name dropping. But John MacArthur has had in his personal experience in high school and in college and afterwards. People who actually went with him witnessing. Sharing the gospel with people who, who would profess faith in Christ. Who were active in their faith and active in the church. That later just denied it all. That's why he's very, very hard on the truth and on follow-through. These are the antichrists. And he said, I mean, this is evident. Acts chapter 20, verse 30, this is what Paul warned the church at Ephesus. He says, and speaking from, uh, from among you, your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things. From among yourselves, there's going to be people who grow up to speak perverse things. John Stott put it this way, says that, and according to verse 19, John says, but they were not of us, and Stott says, by their defection, they give clear evidence of their true character. 
They are, or have been, in our earthly company, but they are not part of the heavenly community. Now that's like, wow, that's kind of scary. You think about it, people would grow up in the church and they learn this stuff and then they, they're part of us, but then they are not from us. They're not from us. That's what John says, that, but they were not of us. Now, they don't lose their salvation, folks. There's lots of people who grew up and they knew. They, they professed, but they did not possess genuine faith in Jesus Christ. That's why every one of us should be looking at our hearts because it's not hard to talk the talk but it is absolutely a divinely empowered thing to walk the walk it is from god they profess but do not possess and then he says he goes on and look at verse 19 for he says they went out from us but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. Their defection is proof of their disobedience and their denial of who Jesus is and what God says. Evidence, endurance, is evidence of our salvation. It's another test. If we endure, press on to the end, then we know that we're saved. Stott puts it this way. Future and final perseverance is the ultimate test of past participation. If I press on till the end, it proves I am truly a child of God. Now, this may not be the best uh, analogy, but a lot of you have exercise equipment in your basement, right? Yeah. You know, we got the treadmills and the rowing machines and, the, you know, the cycles and the bicycles and the whatever, you know, the ski things and stair steppers and all this kind of stuff. Now, if we're still exercising and using that stuff throughout the rest of our life, then it's evidence that we're really committed to personal fitness. Perseverance is proof of our true profession of faith. Those who reject the truth become the most vehement opposers of the truth. Notice what John says. They went out in order that they might be shown that they, are, they all are not of us. I just want to ask you this morning. I ask myself, am I here this morning as an adversary of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I here as an antagonist to the gospel? Oh, I'm present, but I'm not really with it. Am I here this morning as an actor? Well, you know, it's I'm supposed to go to church and it looks nice and I might meet a few people that might help my business or might help me in my uh, life, you know. It's, it's, it's a good thing. I grew up, you know, you should go to church and it's kind of a nice. Or am I here as an authentic follower of Jesus Christ? That I understand that I am in desperate need of what God did on the cross because I am a sinner and deserve hell. And what he did paid the price 
that I deserve so that if I put my faith or trust in him, I will be forgiven and have the promise of eternal life. But I felt the gravity of my own sin and depravity. You see, we profess, but do we possess? We possess what we profess if we accept the Son as our Savior. We possess what we profess if we understand that we do sin, but we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who cleanses us from all our sin. We possess what we profess if we live in obedience to the truths of the Word of God. We possess what we profess if we love one another. We possess what we profess if we do not deny the Son. We possess what we profess if we abide in the truth. Let's don't just sit on the premises, but stand on His promises. There's a second responsibility. There's a second way in which the Lord, perspective that the Lord brings here through John, our resources are explained. This is, the, this is the resources we have to remain faithful and to rest assured. First of all, an anointing from God. Look at verse 20. But you, who? Children. Believers. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Well, what does he say about this anointing? We see it in verse 27 too. So I'm going to kind of wed 20 and 27 together. So if I lose you, uh, I may be referring to verse 27 and uh, kind of going back and forth. So I kind of do that sometimes. I just need to tell you that ahead of time because you're going to, whoa, where do you get that? Okay, verse 27. He says, and as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. So here's the truth. First of all, the anointing is from the Holy One. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses uh, 21 and uh, 22. Uh, let me see. Do I have that? Okay, you got that? Yeah. Okay. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, okay, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. If you're here this morning and you truly are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have an anointing from God. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life from the moment of conversion from now until eternity. The Spirit of God is present in you. That's a powerful resource. It says the Spirit of God is anointing from the Holy One and the Holy Spirit abides in you. Uh, John 14, verses 16 through 17, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Get that? The world cannot receive it. Only believers receive it. Because it does not behold him nor know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. During our transition, uh, I spent, I've, I've spent several nights at my son and daughter-in-law's home. I've been uh, abiding with them. Uh, that's what abide means. To dwell to remain with, to remain in. But it's not a permanent abiding. And they're happy and I'm happy okay? that it's not a permanent abiding. But when the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us, it's a permanent abiding. 
It's a permanent dwelling. It's a resource that we have from God in heaven. You say, well, yeah, but pastor, I, I, don't, I don't feel the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't feel the Holy Spirit present in my life. Have you ever put your sunglasses up on your head? You know? Or maybe your glasses. Or if you're wearing a hat, you know, you kind of put them up. That's kind of cool. Or if you're really cool, you put them backwards on your hat. And then pretty soon it's like, you rip your hat off or you go, where's my sunglasses? Where's my sunglasses? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I've been talking on my phone before and wondering where my phone was. You see, just because I don't feel the Holy Spirit doesn't mean He's not there. It's like, you have a brain? But can you see your brain? Can you feel your brain? But you know you have a brain. The Spirit of God is present within us. An anointing from God. And the Spirit of God then instructs us Verse 27, the end of the verse, uh, notice he says, but as an anointing, as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is is true. What a blessing that the Spirit of God teaches us all things. And you say, okay, so that you don't need an instructor. He says, well, okay, so then we don't need you up here telling us, Pastor, what's going on. But isn't it interesting that John, who says you have an anointing and don't need an instructor, is instructing them that they have an anointing and they don't need an instructor. So we do need an instructor. But we also have the Holy Spirit who instructs us. This is the resource that we have, John 14, 26. Um, he says that the, the Spirit of God instructs us and He'll guide us into, into all truth. The Spirit's adequacy to teach. Then there's the knowledge of the truth. We have the anointing from God. Then we have this knowledge of the truth. In the verse 20, he says, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. Verse 27, and as for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need of anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you, we have this knowledge that the Spirit of God puts within us. It's the knowledge we received and understood when we accepted the gospel. That's what 1 John 1, 1 through 5 is about. You heard this, we have seen and heard and beheld, and his hands have handled concerning the word of life, and this we have made known to you. The gospel, we have this truth that, that is within us. It's interesting, John 16, 13 uh, says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. I like the way he says you all know. You see, he was combating the knowing ones, the Gnostics, and they thought they knew. And what he says is, no, you don't know, but the people who you say don't know, they really know. They are the knowing ones. So that believers are actually the knowing ones. Because we have the truth of God's Word. We have the anointing from the Spirit, and we have the truth of God's Word that's in us. The God's Spirit teaches God's people God's truth so that God's people can do God's will. And then we can know that we're in his company. And 
we know the truth. Knowledge of the truth is necessary to combat error. We just purchased our first home, and we had to fill out all the paperwork for the mortgage company. And it's really interesting. They're asking me questions that, about myself that I don't even know the answer to. Have you ever lived at such and such an address? And I'm going, well, I don't know, maybe. And my answers to the questions are necessary. They know the truth so that they can discern the error in my response. Every child of God knows the truth so that we can discern error in the world. And that's how God wants us to be equipped so that this knowledge of the truth needs to be translated into our actions and then leads us to the requirements. So we have the, the resistance is exposed and the resources are made known. We have the spirit and the truth. And now here's what we're supposed to do with it. We're to confess Jesus as the Christ. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And you say, well, Jesus is the Messiah. The person of Jesus, the human being Jesus, is the prophesied Messiah, the Son of God. A lot of people say, I know who Jesus is. Well, you know Jesus, or you know about Jesus. There's a historical figure who was born in a manger in Bethlehem a long time ago. But is he really the Messiah to you? Is he your Lord and your Master? That's what Messiah means. And so these people deny. We must confess. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. Just turn your Bibles over to verse 3. It says, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And what he means by confess Jesus, it means Jesus is the Christ, is not from God. In his day, there were the Serenthians. Uh, that's not Corinthians, but the Serenthians, and they denied the deity of Jesus. Then there were the Gnostics, and they denied the humanity of Jesus. And John says, Jesus Christ, the indisputable, the indisputable test of orthodoxy is what a person does with Jesus. All we got to know is Jesus. I don't have to know every nuance of Jehovah's Witness teaching or Mormon teaching or Islam or of, of Hinduism or Buddhism. All I got to know is Jesus. Because if I know Jesus, then I will know the error in every other teaching. Every one of those denies Jesus. Oh, no, no, hear me right. They would acknowledge Jesus in some way, shape, or form, but they deny that he is the Christ the Son of the living God, and the only means of salvation. If Jesus is merely a prophet, if he's merely or was merely a, a teacher, a wise teacher, or their idea, a good man, then I go to Lewis, C.S. Lewis, and say, then no, he was none of that. He was a liar or a lunatic if he was only those things because he claimed to be Lord. There was a gal in my oldest sister's office at one point and <clears throat> she just said you know there's there's a lot of ways to get to heaven you know what you have a lot of those people in your office and in your circles too ah you know it's a lot of ways to get to heaven it's like kind of like rome you know all roads lead to rome 
then Jesus is a liar. According to them. Now, they may not say that, but that's what Jesus says. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. All roads lead to Jesus? All roads lead to God? No. It's, well, that's kind of narrow-minded. You know, Jesus was pretty narrow-minded because he knew the only way was through him. At the core of every heresy is a deficient view of Jesus. That's what John combated. That's what you and I have to combat. And only when we confess Jesus as the Christ do we have assurance that we possess what we profess. Everything else is playing games. Denial that Jesus was God in the flesh is the voice of the Antichrist. Look at John 8, 19. If we can go there, oh, I think. And so they were saying to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. If you deny Jesus, you deny the father as well. Let what you, then he says in verse 24, let what you have heard, so this is the next one. We have this, we must confess, and we must let the word abide in us. Now, I used the word. Look at verse 24. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. I could have said, let that which you have heard from the beginning abide in you. But I think what he's talking about is the word. Because in John chapter 1, verse 1, you look at this. It says, what, what was from the beginning, this is John speaking to them, what was from the beginning, what we have seen, what we have heard what we have beheld and what our hands have handled concerning the word of life, then we've told that to you. So I think what he's saying is, in chapter 2, verse 24, let what you have heard, being the gospel of Jesus Christ, let that abide in you. Receive the message of salvation by grace through faith plus nothing. Let that sprout, take root, and grow and remain in you. How? How? Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Abiding involves my resting, allowing the word to rest in me, and then doing what the word says. How do, I, how do I actively let the Word of God abide in me? How does that happen? How does something take up residence in my heart? Well, uh, one way or part of it is, I think, intake. I have, in order for it to get in there, it's got to get in there. You know, it's not, not osmosis. It's not like, well, I walked around church today and uh, the Word of God just kind of sucked into me. You know? No. It's intake. We're human beings. It's what I listen to. It's what I read. It's what I hear in my songs. Let the Word of God come into my life. You know, in, in, a, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion. This is part of letting the Word abide in us. It's an understanding of the Word, and we take it in and understand the symbolism and embrace it. And then it's doing something. It's sharing it. It's singing about it. So that the abiding of the Word of God is an intake and an outflow. Okay? And when, the, when we intake 
and we outflow, guess what happens to the air? It gets choked out. The more I'm in the Word, the more I'm allowing the Word to be in me, and the more I'm obedient to the Word, the less appealing, the less attractive, the less convincing error becomes. I spent the last 21 years of my life in farm country, okay? So since the Bible is full of agricultural metaphors, I'm going to go here. When a farmer plants his crops, let's say his corn or his beans, he's praying, or should be praying, that there's good rain so that the crops grow quickly and begin to shade the rows. If there is nurture, nourishment from the ground in the crops, the crops grow and they provide a canopy over what is between the rows. And when that canopy develops, guess what happens? The weeds don't get any sunlight and they don't grow. When a believer is nourishing his or her soul on the Word of God and doing it, then we are growing and providing the canopy over the weeds and they don't grow in our heart and in our soul. And so he says, let the Word abide in you. I wonder, are we captivated by His mercy? That's what abiding, dwelling. Let the, am I captivated by the forgiveness of God through His Son, Jesus Christ? And am I committed to be obedient to Him even when it's hard, even when it's tough? Knowing that as I am obedient, I'm choking out the lies. I'm choking out the air in my life. Remain. Then, then he says, you know, uh, this is what uh, John, I, I love John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them. He it is that loves me. And he that loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. We want to abide, let the word abide in us and abide in the word, which is the end of verse 27. Look at verse 27, the end of verse. And let him abide in you. So here's the deal. As the word abides in me, then I in turn abide and remain in the Son and the Father in these relationships with God Almighty. And there is this mutual abiding that sustains and strengthens me. When I was a young boy, and I didn't know my folks were going to be here this morning, so I'm sorry, Mom, but uh, I, I, I took a cookie from the cookie jar uh, that I was forbidden to take a cookie from, you know, because cookies were for a treat, a meal. You have to ask for a cookie, and I took a cookie. Now, I didn't stop being my mom's son. Fellowship was, you know, is, is not ultimately broken, but abiding was strained, okay? I knew in my heart that something wasn't right. I knew that somehow I was not remaining in a close, intimate relationship because I had been disobedient. That's what our disobedience does as believers. It, 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 it kind of mucks up that, that, that communion. 
And the longer and more frequently we mess up, the, the greater distance there is. And so that abiding, oh, yo, the crop's not growing very good. It's not shading the rows and the weeds are starting to grow. So we must acknowledge Jesus as Christ. We must abide in the word and we must rest in the promise. Because if we're abiding and we're claiming Jesus Christ, then we can rest. This is the end of verses 25 and 26. He says, and this is the promise which he himself has made to us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Eternal life. Abiding in the truth because the truth of the gospel abides in us enables us to avoid error. And when we avoid error and we live in obedience and we live abiding in the truth, guess what? We have assurance that we're his children. Which is eternal life. Which is an encouragement. In these days, I'm trying to write this because these people are trying to deceive you. Folks, there are going to be people even from the church who try to deceive us and say, nah, nah, all that Jesus stuff, you know. <laughs> he's just kind of carried away, you know. He's just kind of one of those radical preachers. You know what a fanatic is? is somebody who loves Jesus more than you. Uh, how many here are really, like, really into Black Friday? You know, come on, be honest. You can, you can raise your hands, you know. No, okay, you're not going to tell me truth, okay. So some, you know, no, I'm into Cyber Monday. Okay, I'm not into Black Friday. I'm Cyber Monday person. All right, okay. You know, Black Friday, you show up on Black Friday, does that mean if you showed up outside of whatever store, does that guarantee you're getting your bargain? Absolutely not. No guarantee. Folks, when we abide in Christ, and his word abides in us. When we understand that what the truth is and reject the air and live in connection with the king, guess what? We have a guarantee. Eternal life. And we have resources. The spirit of God and the word of God to teach the people of God how to live the will of God. That's what John is saying to us. Three boys faced the forces of nature and lived vigilantly as the truth abides in us through the spirit we have received and the word which we have known. We will abide in the truth and abide in the Son and abide in the Father. And guess what? Then we have fellowship one with another and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and with the Father. And we will be his children forever. So I ask myself, I ask you, what am I doing? to cultivate sensitivity to the resources I have been given, the Spirit of God and the Word of God. What am I doing to feed my soul? What am I doing to remain connected to the vine? What am I being doing to allow the Word to abide in me and willingly conform to the Word? There's two groups of people here today. Actually, there's two groups of people in the world, and we're going to get that in John chapter 5. But today... You may be here someone and just openly deny Jesus. I mean, that could be true. You could just be here, I, I don't care about Jesus. You know, I'm here because I have to be here. You know, it's uh, compulsion. Uh, my mom brought me. My, my dad made me come. You know, I'm, I'm here because I'm compelled to be here. You deny that he died on the cross and paid the price for your sins, that you must put your faith and your trust in Jesus in order to be received the gift of eternal life. And you say, I don't care about that. Or maybe you're here out of curiosity. 
Or maybe you're here and you're just a pretender. And I don't say that lightly. It's like, well, you know, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to go through the Christian life motions, you know. Maybe that's you. And here's the deal. If you are in that first camp and you hear the Spirit of God speaking to your heart, then I would invite you to take a moment before we sing this last song and just, I'm going to invite you to surrender your life to Christ. I'm going to invite you. You say, yeah, I, okay. I, I came here as a pretender. I came here as an antagonist. But I, I don't know, I think the Spirit of God's saying something to me. And I, I, I understand that, yeah, this just Jesus person, he did die on the cross to pay the price for my sins. And I want to turn from my sinful, self-directed life, and I want to trust in what Jesus did as the payment for my sins because I want to have this eternal life that starts now. If you're this morning and you're in the second camp, which means that you, you know Jesus, then what I'd invite you to do is just take a few moments before you come up and take the elements, which is our practice, just to search your heart and, and confess your sin and just recommit your life to abiding in the truth, to rejecting error because you're allowing the Word to abide in you and you want to abide in Christ. God, give me wisdom to do that. Forgive me for where I've not and give me grace to protect, press on. And so as the praise team comes and leads in song I just ask you all just to take a few moments to search your heart and then before you come search your heart and then if you're here and you know Christ or you've just made a commitment to Christ come and break the bread and take the cup as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us let's pray Father I ask that your spirit would accomplish and complete the work which your word has begun in our hearts. May we leave this place having done serious business with you. Draw those of us who are in rebellion to yourself and draw those of us who are in relationship with you even closer by your grace and by your spirit and by your power. We pray it in Christ's name and for his glory and for the gain of his kingdom. Lord bless you. You are dismissed.